Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. or is that going to be the whole show? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. So glad we were running tape on that one, Sid. Sorry, I just wanted to know if I, if, if myself and our listeners were going to have to put up with that for the entire episode, or was that just special for me right before? The burping, you mean? Yes. I'm terribly sorry about it. I am getting over a cold, as that you That know. has nothing to do, no. You had your allergies... We're bothering you yesterday, and they're not today. You're knocking over a cold, and that has nothing to do with burping. I had a fever, ma'am. You didn't. I did. It was 100.5. Okay, well, you did then. What's up? Oh, you didn't know how, how, what I it makes a got, fever? Well, I, uh, Dr. I mean, McElroy. No, I didn't know that it got that high. You checked your temperature like 40 times yesterday. I could not uh, keep track uh, of, of every... Of those 40, if you were to chart it on a chart, of those 40... One of them was above 100.4. It was 100.5. So that uh-huh. did get me into febrile territory. Yeah. Uh, boy, this Technically, energy. 100.4 is a fever. So that's all. That's what I said. I mean, you don't have to be above it. 100.4 works. Now you're getting into semantics. No, I'm just saying. And also, again, you took your temperature so many times. Justin, when he's sick, will sit on the couch and just take his temperature every few minutes to just see how things are going. I was very, I thought I was very brave yesterday. Like, <laughs> help with the kids the whole time and i didn't get to i wasn't a baby about it until they were asleep that's true right that's i was true. Try, i was really yeah. trying even though a brave I little bad. toaster all right then fine if you're not gonna give me any uh uh poor justin you're fine today sad trombone for me okay anyway uh what are we uh what are we talking about this week sid well uh, as promised i wanted us to round out the the r of the mmr so far, we have things that make you go, mm, and now we're going to have things that make you go, Ur. or mm, <laughs> that's nothing. That's nothing. That's nothing. Uh, yes. Yeah, so we have talked about measles a long time ago, not mm-hmm. recently. And then we stopped there, and then we remembered that our we series, forgot. Our series had a brief... Uh, Couple year hiatus, two year hiatus or something, and then we talked about mumps, and now it's time to talk about rubella, which I think is the one maybe prettiest name easily. Like if it weren't a disease, I could (laughs) see that as a name for for a little girl or boy for sure. Rubella. Do you know what what rubella means? Pretty from the Latin. Pretty red, red pretty. You're close. Little red. Little red. Little red. Little Red. Yeah. 
Uh, but yes, I and I would say rubella is probably the the part of the triumvirate that people know the least about. Maybe Which on average, pro- on I mean, some people certainly do, but on average, good, probably a good thing, right? I mean, any. <sighs> Well, goodness knows. I wish. I wish they were all diseases of antiquity at this point. Ah, uh, yes. Because that would be good. But you know, got to get those vaccines. Uh, thank you to everybody who recommended this: Darcy, Kate, Ashley, Christina, Rory, Greg, Marilyn, and Michelle. Uh, rubella was first described in like the mid 18th century, and it, it's one of those. So rubella, I'll get into what it looks like, but it causes a rash, and so when you get into things that cause red spots. It, it The timeline of when exactly we figured it out is always kind of shaky because a lot of things caused red spots. Mm-hmm. Chick, so, chicken pops. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I said pops. Chicken pox. Uh, Measles. Kool-Aid accidents. Yeah. yeah. You blow in too hard mm-hmm. with this draw. <laughs> Don't tell me that our daughter has not, like, she had one yesterday from Candy Necklace. Just like coated her face with red. I thought she was having an allergic <laughs> reaction to the candy necklace. It turns out she was having a chromatic reaction to the candy necklace, and it's just as designed. Kids get red spots for lots of reasons. Yes. And, and the thing is, a lot of the time, these rashes, like as physicians will look and go, hmm, appears to be a viral exanthem, hmm, which means, I don't know, they got a rash. It's probably a virus. It'll be fine. And most of the time it is. Most of the time it's not a big deal. And that was kind of the way rubella was probably regarded. And so it, when you find diseases like that, it takes a while to get them actually named and distinguished mm-hmm. um, because there were probably cases of measles that were actually rubella. But if you just, if you're spotty, who knows? Um, and in fact, by it was in 1814 that, uh, George de Maton first figured out that, you know what, there's measles, there's scarlet fever, and then there's this other thing, um, which at the time was just called German measles. Hmm. I bet they weren't crazy about that. <laughs> because a lot of the uh, a lot of the physicians who were figuring this out and distinguishing these from each other were all uh, German, and so what they was just that started disease? calling it German measles. What was that disease we talked about a while ago where every country was naming it after... Another country. Was it syphilis? No. Uh, I don't remember. Someone will tweet at me and let, me, let us know. Oh, I don't remember. I there was, which one it you was. remember what I'm referring yeah, to? Yeah, I know. And wherever like, it was, they just named it after that. Uh, yeah. After whatever country they didn't like. So uh, so initially, rubella was just called German measles because it looked sort of like measles. It was seen to be like a milder form of measles generally, but it it kind of seems similar. It wasn't until 1866 there was an outbreak in India and uh, Henry Veal, who was an English royal artillery surgeon, started calling it rubella. And that's where we finally see the word rubella, which, as I said, meant little red, um, comes from. Uh, By the end of the 1800s, people figured out, yes, this is its own thing, rubella. It is not a German form of measles, Although you will still hear people refer to it as German measles. I don't know if you ever heard Really? It. No, I've never heard that. Uh, my mom, I remember when we were talking about this once, said, you mean German measles? Whoa, no, we don't. Well, I mean, it, it's not a, an offensive thing. It was just that's right. what it was called for a while. Uh, and so so there were a lot of, um, by, eight, by the end of the 1800s, everybody was like, yes, this is rubella. It's its own thing. It's not a form of measles. Yes, it causes red spots. Um, and we know which virus, or we know that it can be passed along, 
Um, by the 1930s, there were two scientists, Hiro and Tosaka, who took filtered nasal washings. Filtered nasal washings. What could that be? So you squirt some water up a nose and Fil- let it come back out and fall into like a cup or whatever, some sort of collecting mm-hmm. device. And then you filter that. Okay. I guess to get like chunks out or whatever. Ugh. And then no, they were passing it through a filter to see if a virus, if it was a virus. It, it, the filter, the size of the filter, can help you determine if something is a virus or bacteria because viruses are smaller. Really? So, mm-hmm. so if it pass, I mean, we're talking, we're not, th- you're not thinking of filter in the way these filters look. Okay. They're incredibly small filters, incredibly tiny, tiny like holes in the filters. Okay. And so then you pass it through a, a filter with very small holes, and if then the stuff that you get. If you give it to another kid and the kid gets sick, then it's a virus. Mm, okay. I see Does that make saying. sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only thing I found interesting about this is that they were definitely giving it to, to other kids. Take that, kids. And then seeing if they got sick. And I kept trying to dig into this research to figure out, like, what, how, what, where, who? It's one of those you can only get once, right? Why, and, well, yeah, but still, um, still. Yeah. <laughs> this was, right. this it, was research. <laughs> Listen, there, no and argument. Kids, for me. It's not, you don't usually see this. I'm not saying it, it was nice or pretty, but I'm saying those hero kids deserve to be recognized for willingly signing up for that mm-hmm. government program mm-hmm. that gave them, I don't know, probably in those days, a hoop and a stick, something <laughs> like that, to let them get measles. Not measles. German measles. Fine. Yes, German measles, rubella. Yeah, and I mean, it's fair to say that, like, yes, for it is typically a very benign course in terms of diseases, but still. I kept trying to find this, and I found this exact same reference. Like, and then they passed filtered nasal washings onto other children, and they got sick, and they proved it was a virus. And I'm like, but tell me more. Right. <laughs> this is the beginning of a story, not the end. I don't know. There, I'm sure there's a very interesting, maybe upsetting story there. Yeah. Maybe that's why it's hard to find. Yeah, let's look away. So as I have alluded to, rubella is a virus. Uh, it is typically mild, and you can get it from people either through direct like um, snot, you know, mm-hmm. or sharing of food and drink, like t- saliva, Trump- sharing trumpet. saliva, making out, you know, sharing that kind of trumpet. stuff. Sure, sharing a trumpet. Um, also from droplets. So like if somebody's sneezing or coughing or blowing their nose or whatever nearby. They cough into their trumpet and then they <laughs> use it. So it's not, that's not anything that's spread that way through droplets is not terribly difficult to get. You know, you, you can, sure. it's easy to, to spread. Um, it's, you get the rash, which is what we call like a maculopapular rash. And I was trying to describe this to Charlie the other day. I, I taught you were her the word. trying to describe Charlie? Yeah. I taught her the word maculopapular. Okay. Um, which was, a, ask unique, her to say it. A unique child. It's, it's fun. Anyway, so it's like a red bumpy, but not all bumpy rash. Some of them are red flat spots and some of them are red bumpy spots. That's it. Um, you get enlarged lymph nodes. You're going to get a fever. Usually the rash is going to start on the face. That's always helpful when we're trying to figure out all these various spotty things to know where the rash starts and what direction it goes. That can kind of help us mm-hmm. help us figure that out. Um, in about a day, it's the rash is all over you after it starts on the face, and it lasts around three days. It can be a little bit longer, a little bit shorter. Is it itchy? Uh, I don't believe it is particularly itchy. Do you guys have a technical mm. term for itchy? Paritis. Paritic. Paritic? Paritic. Itchy. 
Itchy's good though. You all should have stuck with itchy. It doesn't sound as, you know, insufferable. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, anyway, so for most people, actually, this is kind of interesting. So the lymph nodes that get enlarged, I don't know, I think this is interesting, um, can be the ones behind your ears or the ones at the back of your neck, like at the base of your skull, in, in particular, can get enlarged. I just think those are, it's interesting to, those are not lymph nodes you think of very often as like, I'm sick, and then you feel behind your ear and you got enlarged lymph nodes behind your ear and then on the back of your head. I don't know. No, it was good. <clears throat> I just Sorry. didn't, I don't think I have all the context I need to make that interesting. A quarter to a half of infections are asymptomatic. So it's not, so for like a lot of people, it's not a big deal. You get sick, you get better. It, nobody bothered to figure out what you had because you were better almost before it mattered. Okay. Right. There are serious complications though. The, in people who get sick, who are not pregnant, they can get things like arthritis. Um, there are very rare complications where like, the numbers of your of certain parts of your blood, the platelets, which help with clotting, can drop. Can you can you can become very those will get very low as a result. You can get infection or inflammation, I should say, inflammation of the brain. These are very rare complications. They do happen, and so it's better not to get it. Right. Preferable. But, but for most people, this was considered just like one of those normal diseases of childhood. The same way that like people of our generation probably th think of chicken pox. Everybody just got rubella and then they got better. And that was it. Isn't that wild to think that the next generation won't? They don't. Yeah, already. They don't think of chicken pox that way. Yeah. Uh, Did Riley get it? Did Riley get chicken pox? Or was no. she been old enough for the vaccine? No, she got the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So when the problem with rubella, the big problem, because all this, all this, a lot of people will argue that if you hear this, and this is what you hear some people who are against vaccines say, is like, but what's the big deal? Chicken pox is always the example. They don't use rubella very often because I don't think most people remember it as well as they do chicken pox. But you might hear that and think, what's the big deal about rubella? Why do we bother getting a vaccine if it's right. just a no big deal thing? Because when rubella infection happens while a person is pregnant to the pregnant person, the results for the baby can be very serious. This is why rubella is a big deal huh. and something to worry about is that if you become infected with rubella, especially during the first trimester of your pregnancy, any time can be a problem, but the first trimester is the worst. You can have very serious consequences. Uh, one, you could, you could miscarry, so you could lose the pregnancy. Um, and then... Two, you can have severe birth defects if you don't miscarry. The most common things you'll see are, are congenital cataracts, so your the baby is born with cataracts, um, hearing loss um, or hearing impairment. Uh, the uh, if you if you get rubella in your first trimester, you actually have an eighty percent chance of miscarriage. Oh my gosh! Um, and then Ugh. almost, uh, or, or I'm sorry, miscarriage or congenital rubella syndrome so one of the two happening i misspoke so 80 percent chance that either you'll lose the pregnancy or there can be these severe birth defects that that occur and in addition to hearing issues and visual impairment you can also have um <coughs> delayed development and, uh, and and kind of global issues mm. as a result so it is a it's a severe kind of like zika then it's not a big deal to get it but it is a big deal if you get it while pregnant. That's a good corollary. I think everybody, yes, that's a good way to think about it. Because Zika, everybody is more aware of since it was more recent. And for you, as someone who is not in, I don't think we'll ever be pregnant. <laughs> for you personally, Zika would not be a big deal. But had I gotten it while I was pregnant, it could have been a big deal for mm -hmm. our child. 
So uh, this is why it matters is because we want to prevent congenital rubella syndrome known as CRS. Uh, we figured out, this is kind of interesting, we figured out that CRS was an issue because before you knew about and made that link with congenital rubella syndrome. It wouldn't be. Why would you even bother doing anything about this, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. we figured out there's rubella. We gave it to some kids. Yay. And that'd be hard to figure on. out too, right? Because you get sick and then you're better long after. I mean, mm-hmm. like the baby, you would, you may not even connect it. So, so it, first. it, exactly. And it took a while. It was, a, the link was established by an Australian ophthalmologist named Sir Norman McAllister Gregg. Uh, he was seen he was actually a pediatric ophthalmologist and he noticed he was seeing patients. It was um, around the start of world war two. He was seeing a lot of patients with congenital cataracts, babies born with cataracts, which is not, I mean, it can just happen unrelated to rubella, but it's uncommon. And he was seeing a large number of patients and that seemed unusual. That's not usually what he was you know, experiencing. And so he, he started trying to think like, why all of a sudden am I seeing so many Babies born with cataracts. What could be going on? And he actually overheard some of the uh, moms in the waiting room talking about the fact that they both had rubella while they were pregnant. Mm. And so he overheard this and he started thinking about, like, could that could that mean anything? Actually, I think he asked some of the other moms and he started noticing a trend. So he did a study and he found that 68 of 78 cases of, of uh, congenital cataracts, the babies had been exposed to rubella in utero. So that so seemed like a yeah. pretty, pretty strong link. Uh, there had, and this matched with the fact that there had been an outbreak of rubella in some of the Australian army camps in 1941. And then, of course, when everybody would go home, they would spread that to their families and to the communities. So he published a paper. Um, initially, while in Australia, this was kind of embraced as, oh, this makes sense. We got to get on top of this. Now we figured this out. It took a while for this to like spread to the rest of the world. Initially, a lot of places outside of Australia, the doctors like, I don't know about that data. I'm not sure. This doesn't make sense. I've never heard anything about this. I feel like this is anytime somebody There's makes new. a brilliant discovery. A lot of people have to say no. <laughs> is it the worst thing in the world though? I mean, it's, it's good to be skeptical but he had pretty decent data um and i i I say that he had decent data because his research was basically gone over by a mathematician professor oliver lancaster who then published a paper saying like yeah this looks pretty good yeah nothing's pretty good and then everybody went okay well i guess if oliver says so yeah um of course at that point it's like well everybody let's all agree just to not get rebel anymore i guess (laughs) Well, that's the well, that's the problem, right? So now, and maybe that's maybe sure, there's it's, more. It's super scary. Another thing we have to be super scared of. We just also we're at war with Germany. It's a cool few years. <laughs> that's and you. Oh, the a bombs almost done. <laughs> cool. You got to imagine this was a very maybe that it would even increase resistance. You don't. We don't. Humans don't like to hear things that are bad news, and so right. and so we tend to not embrace it as quickly if it's bad news and. When they're telling you, okay, it turns out rubella, which we thought was this no big deal, you get sick for a few days, whatever, miss a day of work, miss a day of school, you get better, no big deal, infection can have these really severe consequences. Also, we have no idea what to do about it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to distinguish from other viral illnesses. We don't know when you have it. We have no treatment for it. We have no cure for it. We have no way of preventing it. 
So good luck. Good luck, yeah. So uh, even after they figured this out, nobody knew what to do. There were, um, and I, this reminded me again of chicken pox, there, some uh, parents started having rubella parties. So if a oh, kid yeah. in the neighborhood would get rubella, they would invite all the other kids over, especially anybody who could become pregnant. Okay. They would invite all of them over to get rubella. I don't know. That usually involved like sharing lollipops and stuff, I think. Gross. Yeah, gross. But the hope was that you could get everybody to get rubella and get over it while they were young. And so that then when they became older, if they became pregnant, they didn't have to worry because they were already immune. Uh, So they did things like that, but there was no, there was no real way to, to prevent it other than that. Mm. Uh, So how did we? Until. Yeah, tell me. I'm ready. Until. Go ahead. Do it. Drop it on me. Well, I'm going to tell you after the billing department. Oh, Sydney. No. You already know it's going to be vaccines. Sydney. (laughs) You already know I'm going to talk about vaccines. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or clean up. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, And the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, 
you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So you want to hear about vaccines? Always said. Always. So that's what we're really, that's, that's the hero in this story is is the rubella vaccine. So we didn't know how to treat it. We didn't know it, it was hard to diagnose. The best the best way to take care of something like this, a viral illness that spreads rapidly and uh, there is no treatment for is to prevent it on the front end. Um, and this became especially important during what we now know as was the last major rubella epidemic, although you have to assume nobody knew that at the time. Nobody they, called it that. Nobody called it that. But there it, it is, turned folks. out <laughs> we're in the middle of the last major. It's kind of like people calling it World War One. Like, oh no, what happens after oh, this? No. <laughs> so from 1964 to 1965 in the U.S., uh, it is estimated that about 12 and a half million people got rubella. Um, and again, the the consequences of that are that 11,000 pregnant people lost their pregnancies as a result Ugh. of rubella. 2,100 newborns passed away from rubella, and there were 20,000 babies born with congenital rubella syndrome from that last uh, major epidemic, 1964-1965. In fact, I thought this was an incredible statistics. One percent of all babies in New York were in, were affected by, oh born in New York, were affected by rubella. Uh, so scientists were already working on a way to prevent it, but I think this epidemic probably really accelerated the speed at which uh, people started to figure things out. Now, you may remember Dr. Maurice Heilman from our... Yes. Mumps Last episode. episode. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I guess it's two episodes uh, Two episodes now. ago. Yeah. I mentioned that he developed a lot of different vaccines, and among the vaccines that he developed was... Rubella. Rubella. That's right. He worked on measles. He worked on mumps. Got to get the... Got to get all three. Got to go for the trio. The hat trick. Yep. Got to get the rubella. He was already actually testing his own vaccines because of the epidemic in 1964 and 5. He was working on stuff from that epidemic to make his own vaccine. Um, but federal regulators got involved and said, hey, we're working on this vaccine. Will you work on it? We, we think we're close. And he said the first one that they brought him was very toxic. It had a lot of side effects. He wasn't thrilled about it. But he worked on it and he worked on it and he worked on it. And by 1969, it was nice. a safe enough. No, no, I'm not going to give you that one. But 1969, it was safe enough to get FDA approval um, and prevent another rubella epidemic. Thank goodness. So uh, he... And then by 71, he'd already added it to the vaccine for measles and mumps. At first, in 69, it was just its own rubella vaccine and then it got put into the mmr in 71 uh but this is the this is the really cool corollary to this so as i mentioned he was not as and we've talked about dr heilman before he was not a uh not a guy who liked to do things um i can't say a bad word half but half butted <laughs> half butted <laughs> He liked to do things right. He wanted things done well. Uh, he was a perfectionist. He had extremely high standards. He was not in it for the glory. He was in it to make sure that the job got done well. And as I mentioned, he was not initially thrilled with the vaccine 
that he had been given to develop for rubella. He felt like he could do better. Like there could be one that would provide a little more immunogenicity. Immunogenicity. I don't know why you couldn't easily pronounce that (laughs) word on your first try. Something that would... flips off the tongue. Something that would uh, be better at making people immune. Okay. Ensure that you'd become immune. So he wanted that. And he also wanted one that had less side effects. Well, in 1978, he discovered that another physician, Dr. Stanley Plotkin in Philadelphia had made his own rubella vaccine and he compared the two and went, this is better than mine. And in the scientific world, like you tend to think of all us scientists, maybe, maybe you don't, but I think that there is a perception that we might be nerdy Mm -hmm. and like timid and probably nice. But if you've made a groundbreaking vaccine that can prevent this congenital rubella syndrome, this terrible outcome, and then all of a sudden you find out that this other guy has made a better one. That's a hard pill to swallow. And there are not a lot of scientists who would be eager to let the world know that there's a better vaccine. Uh, but Dr. Ma- Maurice Heilman was not like that. He went to Stanley Plotkin and said, your vaccine's better than mine and I want to put it in the MMR. Is that cool? What? And he said, Fine. Yeah, of course. He said he was stunned because it was such a uh, a humble thing to do. But then, but, Mar- but he, of course, he said yes. But then Maurice gets back to the lab. And he's like, "Oh my god, I have a hundred thousand <laughs> gallons of this junk. What am I gonna do? I gotta sell this at discount prices." And that's why, folks, if you call right now, you're gonna get a gallon of this stuff. We can't give it away. It's highly toxic and ineffective. <laughs> it was not highly toxic. No, no. Do do not. Pr- perpetuate those myths it wasn't highly toxic and it wasn't ineffective this other vaccine was just better but that's a cut rate thing if you maybe you're uh, trying to save a uh-huh. few bucks get my stuff i made a lot of it and i gotta sell it so he uh so and, i've been and storing it in my wife's got- pottery room where she's supposed to be able to do her pottery <laughs> and she's mad so please buy my bad vaccine you gotta understand too he was working for merck at this point and merck was making the vaccine so this is like a really expensive thing for them to have to do to go in and replace this component of the vaccine. Um, But he did it because it was the right thing to do. And that was his big concern was he wanted the MMR to be as uh, effective and as safe as it possibly could be. And so in 1979, the final version of the MMR was released with this new strain. Just in time for Um, upcoming superstar, Justin McElroy to be born (laughs) in 1980. Want to make sure you had a smooth ride. Now, you know, you were born too late for the Rubella Fighter membership cards, though. In the in the late 60s and early 70s, uh, if you were vaccinated against Rubella, you got this membership card. It's a really cool-looking little card that says you're a Rubella Fighter. That's very cool. And the, it's a little kid holding an umbrella, and it says that they're under the Rubella umbrella now. It's very good. So join the Rubella umbrella campaign and become a Rubella Fighter. Well, that's a good idea. That's awesome. Um. In Australia, the initial, I thought this was an interesting point since uh, it was initially an Australian physician who figured out the connection with congenital rubella syndrome. In Australia, the initial vaccine effort was actually targeted um, for rubella, was targeted only at school-age girls with the idea that they will get pregnant, maybe, if they want to. And so they're the ones who need this. But this was obviously not the most effective method of protecting everybody um which they figured out over time and so in 1989 they switched to the mmr for everybody 
You get a dose when you're like 12 to 15 months, and then you get a booster dose mm-hmm. uh, around four to six. So they switched to that later, um, which is the same vaccine schedule we have here in the U.S., because vaccinating both people who, who can become pregnant and people who can be part of the pregnancy occurring (laughs) part of the pregnancy occurring oh stop with this romantic talk barry white what i'm saying is hey whether you got tonight i'd like to be part of a pregnancy occurring whether whether you've got sperm let me play my role of them in this (laughs) this pregnancy you should be coming to pass and i mention this because again i think it's another good corollary to the HPV vaccine, Gardasil. Initially, we only targeted girls and women. It was initially young people, girls, but then and women, with the thought that anyone with a cervix is who needs this. Basically, if you have a cervix, you need this so you don't get cervical cancer. And then we people finally started thinking, you know, it would probably be better since people without cervixes can also get the virus and spread it to everybody else through sexual contact. Why don't we vaccinate everybody? Doesn't that seem like hey, a better doesn't idea? Doesn't that seem better? Yeah, and and so now we vaccinate everybody and not just uh, not just people who have cervixes. What about me? So you and I didn't get them because we were too old. Can I get it now? I mean, you could. I, you never know. I thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, we we could. We'd have to pay for them though because they're not approved for. Oh. Us oldies. Actually, know. that may have just changed, but we still probably would have to pay for them with our insurance. Anyway, uh, so everybody like got the MMR. Vaccines as possible. Here's the happy end. Uh, once the vaccine became available and everybody started using it, you saw the rates of rubella in the United States drop. I mean, just dramatically. And less than 10 people in the U.S. are reported as having rubella each year. And that's all cases where people have come to the U.S., and brought rubella strains from outside the U.S., but not, like, naturally occurring within the United States. Does it seem like we, we could eradicate it? Like That's what? a great question. I was going to mention that. Yes. Rubella only occurs in humans. Yes. So, so it could... the humans out. And, no. It oh. could be eradicated. Stuff that occurs in animals and can be passed back and forth from animals to humans, that's a lot more complicated because then you got to vaccinate all the animals, too, and it, it's a lot harder to do. Stuff that only occurs in humans, like smallpox which has been eradicated, could theoretically be eradicated. And that is exactly what there is a global effort to work towards. The Western Hemisphere is currently rubella-free. Yay. Uh, Australia eliminated rubella last year. It was eliminated from from Australia last year. But there's still a lot of places uh, where rubella occurs. And so there's still a lot of work to be done. And the way that we're going to do this is by vaccinating everybody. That's really the big... The big push. Uh, Rubella is the third disease to be eliminated from the Western Hemisphere after smallpox and polio. Wow. Um, two interesting points that I thought I would I would bring up. One, uh, one of the people who suggested this topic, Kate, uh, also wanted us to know. Did you do you read a lot of Agatha Christie? Yeah, you know me. Did you read the Mirror Cracked from Side to Side? I have not read that one. Oh, okay. There's a Vic. Well, do you want me? Oh, well, this will ruin it. This will spoil it. Don't ruin. Don't ruin it here. I- Rubella is a plot point. There. Okay, there. There. There it is. Read that book if you want to find out more. Sorry, Kate, I was going to share your interesting fact, but I don't want to ruin that book for Justin. Um, one other interesting point. We've talked a lot about vaccines and and some of the um, anti-vaccination movement, some of the things that they will um, 
the half-truths and untruths that are perpetuated in order to try to prevent people from getting vaccines. Uh, I'm going to call them something different, by the way. I'm not, I'm not calling them the anti-vaccine movement anymore. I'm calling them the pro-preventable diseases. Sure. I'm fine with that. Okay, the PPD. Okay. Uh, so one thing to know is the MMR vaccine, since we've covered all parts of it, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine was really the one that Andrew Wakefield took aim at with his whole vaccines cause autism myth, which is, as we have talked about over and over again, is not true, has been disproven, was completely a lie. But there you go. The MMR was one of the, the big vaccines named in this. Um, it's weird because these same people will tell you that it's because of thimerosal and mercury. Thimerosal is a preservative of vaccines uh, that helps to prevent like bacteria and fungus from growing in vials of vaccines that have mm -hmm. multiple doses. So like a vial that you would draw a dose out and give it to somebody and then draw another dose out and give it to somebody as opposed to the single shot vaccines. Um, thimerosal used to be used in vaccines. It hasn't, uh, it, it is not in any childhood vaccines period now. It's not there. Your kids aren't getting thimerosal. It's not in there. Even when it was, it was still safe. It was still fine. It was mercury-containing, but it's actually a safer form of mercury than the mercury in the fish you eat. So if you eat fish, that is higher-risk mercury to you than the thimerosal that used to be in vaccines and isn't anymore for your kids in childhood vaccines. But all that being said, thimerosal was never used in the MMR, ever. Not at any point ever in history. I don't know where this stuff comes from. Mercury was not in it. It wasn't in it. Thimerosal was not used in the MMR. All right. It was used in flu, in multivial flu vaccines, and it's not used in any vaccines we give children now. And it still wouldn't matter if it was because it wasn't dangerous. There you go. There you go. I wanted to unwind that because okay. I, I hear that a lot, and it's very frustrating. It's nothing to be afraid of. If you eat fish, you're that's scarier mercury. Got it. Um, and the only other point that I think is worth mentioning a lot of people will ask about the use of human cell lines in vaccines, in like the development of vaccines. Not mm -hmm. They're not in vaccines, but they were used to help develop some vaccines. And this is true, um, particularly when it comes to rubella, since that's what we're talking about today. There were cells from aborted fetuses used in the initial um, discovery and, and creation of the rubella vaccine. That is, a, that is a true story. This was from the 60s. So these were abortions that occurred in the 60s. I don't know the circumstances or any of that. You can discover all that. You can look that up if, if you want to, if you feel so inclined. Um, and these cells were then used to help develop these vaccines. Mm -hmm. And so the argument is made by some that you can't get any vaccines because that research was done in a way that is not compatible with their own beliefs. Yeah. beliefs. Uh, and... This is what I would say. First of all, um, that this isn't an ongoing thing. I think that sometimes if they say like, well, these vaccines are made from aborted fetuses, that gives you the impression that this is like an ongoing thing that scientists are doing in order to make the vaccines. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. This happened during the development in the 60s. Yeah. It's not still being done. If you're going to start um, avoiding medical treatments that at some point during their development had some whack crap involved with it um there's a lot of medicine you're gonna miss out on as we've talked there about been some the show, bumps in the road there, there are a, there's a lot of stuff we've done that is that i think we could all agree was unethical or inconsistent with our morality um regardless of how you feel about abortion per per con sure, like i'm saying sure. that there's like 
even if, if this personally yeah. it, it conflicts with your beliefs um there are many things we would all find something in medicine that conflicted with our own personal beliefs i think that has been done at some point in time uh the second thing that i thought was interesting is as i was researching this particular aspect uh i found a letter from the vatican and now i know all of the religious opposition to vaccines isn't catholic it's not born of catholicism but i thought this was an interesting point from one religious perspective it was kind of a meditation on this problem. What is the final word as per if you if you're interested, here's what the Vatican thinks of it. And basically what they came down to was that while, yes, we would prefer the vaccines not have been made this way, clearly, and we would encourage scientists to continue to work on vaccines that aren't made this way, an alternative, a vaccine that is not made you with the, you know, like make a vaccine a different way, make a new vaccine. And we we'll use that one. Yeah, they're like, not made with abortion. No, like, again. no, but make but make a new vaccine that, that doesn't was have never. that history. Right? Yeah, right. If you can do that, we would prefer that. But all that being said, we also realize that the alternative would be to expose and possibly allow your children to die from preventable diseases, and that that is a morally unacceptable alternative that we do not believe anyone should choose. So the word from the Vatican is that even though these, and, and let me be clear, that they're use, they do use these same cell lines. There are lots of cell lines that we use that are derived from cells that we got decades ago. Right. As we've alluded to on the show before, like the Henrietta Lacks cell line, the HeLa cells. Those are cells we obtained a long time ago. So, but we are, but not new new abortions are not providing these cells. Does that make sense? Yes. I just want to, I, I know this is a sticky subject, so I want to be very clear about what I'm saying. So e- even the Vatican is saying like, all this aside, well, yeah, we wish there were different vaccines and we prefer this wasn't the case. Until there are, you should get the vaccines because it is, from their standpoint at least, morally wrong to allow your kid to die from a disease that you could prevent for this cause. Well, there you have it, folks. So I don't know. That's way outside my realm. I'm not yeah. going to speak for any any religious um, professionals. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. I don't know what any experts in that area. But if that's your concern, there's there it is. Uh, get your vaccines. Get your MMR. Uh, we've eliminated rubella from the Western Hemisphere. Let's not bring it back. Yeah, let's keep it off the off the charts. Yeah, and uh, and the best way to do that is by getting an MMR. When you're 12 to 15 months, get a second MMR between ages four and six. And if you're concerned at all, you can always get titers drawn. You can go and they can check your uh, antibody levels to see if you're immune. Um, Specifically, if you do become pregnant, they'll actually check you for this. You can't get an MMR while you're pregnant, but after the pregnancy, they'll give you another booster just to make sure because you want to keep those antibodies against rubella high. Yep. but, they, but you can be checked for this if you're curious. If you're concerned, you might not be immune. Uh, folks, that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to the taxpayers for the use of our song, Medicines. Their song, not our song. That's <laughs> the intro and outro of our program. Uh, thank you to the Maximum Fund Network for having us as a part of their extended podcasting family. Um, and thank you to you for listening. Oh, there's a new uh, couple pins, Sawbones pins at McElroyMerch.com. If you head over there, that's our merchandise store. You can uh, find these cool little, um, they're like ether and snake oil pins that you can get. I think they're really they're cool. They're very cool looking. Very cool. Somebody mentioned they would make great earrings. Ooh, yeah. I don't know if that's, can you do that with pins? I don't know. 
I mean, I think these are glittery for whatever it's worth. I think these are glittery. I don't know if that changes anything for you. They're glittery. Yeah. Why would that change? Their it's not related to the earrings. I would just mention that they're glittery. Anyway, thank you so much <laughs> for listening to our show. Uh, you, you've you've been a great audience. Is something I almost said, but rethought it because this is a podcast. Uh, but until next week, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.